get a great work started for God, Bethlehem would be the last place you'd do it. Uh, you would probably pick Rome or Jerusalem or some other place, but not, uh, not Bethlehem at all. As I was saying, truth is, is that uh, you would have never picked Bethlehem to start a great movement of God. No one would have. It was a small, dusty, out-of-the-way place, terribly unsophisticated, and compared to Jerusalem and other major cities of the earth, uh, very undeveloped. In fact, you would not have picked Jerusalem, even. In fact, you would have never picked Israel to be quite honest with you. But this is the way God does things. God selects the small things of the world to confound the wise. And with that, I want to invite your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Speaking of some small things, I um, saw recently uh, an article that discussed a light bulb in a museum in Fort Worth, Texas that has been burning since 1908. The filament is still intact, and it has an independent source of power that runs at all times. Now, that's not the longest burning light bulb in the United States. The other one is in California, and it has been burning since 1901. The filament is still intact, and it constantly burns. Now, the one in Fort Worth is 40 watts. The one in California is 4 watts, as I think you'd probably expect. But the truth is, is that uh, that's uh, what you have with a couple of light bulbs. You know something, I want to be that way as a Christian. I want to intentionally, purposely shine light for Jesus Christ in my very last day. If you find a pastor, by the way, if you find a pastor who started in ministry when he was young and retired at retirement age, you have a treasure. It's one of the reasons I respect my predecessor, Dr. Stuart Sims, so much. Only about two out of ten seminary graduates make it long enough in ministry without blowing out or ruining themselves to retire. 80% blow out before they reach 65 or retirement age. And not only that, but if you look around through the years, you'll notice that that's true for many Christians as well. Many of those that started in our churches in their teens and in their 20s do not make it to their 60s and 70s being faithful to Jesus. So when you find someone like that, You've got a remarkable treasure, and they have learned the lessons of this text in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, I want you to notice this is an entire unit, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 18. Uh, verse 1 and verse 16 have the same phrase and the same Greek word that are used here, and so they form bookends of the chapter. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 1, he says, therefore, since we have this ministry, the superior ministry of the new constitution in Jesus Christ, the new covenant in Christ, we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Verse number 16, therefore, we do not lose heart. Paul's whole subject here is, we're not going to lose heart. The word here, you lose heart, uh, can be translated to defect. It can be translated to engage in bad, scandalous behavior. It can be mean to begin to engage in bad behavior. I'm going to, in this context of 2 Corinthians 4, where he's talking about his ministry of verbal proclamation of the gospel, I'm going to use the phrase, defect and go silent. Paul said, I do not defect and go silent on Jesus. I'm not going to do it because of the reasons that are found in this text. And here Paul explains why he did not do that. In other words, the Apostle Paul and hopefully all of God's people have got a stout amount of fortitude. In other words, they've got courage 
in adversity, which is precisely what fortitude is. And I want to explain this morning why it is you can have fortitude in adversity and why it is that you should not defect and go silent on Jesus in preparation for December 3rd and December the 10th. We want to stay with the stuff. We want to burn brightly, intentionally, strategically, purposely for Jesus until our very last day. We don't want light bulbs outlasting us. We want to go all the way with Christ and continue to verbally declare His goodness, His grace, and His glory throughout the world. In fact, in this text, you're going to find there are countless good reasons to have fortitude and not one good reason to defect and go silent. Well, what would those be? Well, the first one is this, the need. Look at verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame. So privately, we're walking with integrity, and no one would be surprised by the things in our lives privately. Not, not walking in craftiness or handling the Word of God deceitfully. I mean, just about all of those that handle the Word of God deceitfully are handling the Word of God. And there's some naive simpletons amongst us that think that just because somebody quotes the Bible, they're doing it rightly. Anybody that expounds the Bible, anybody that shares something and quotes Scripture has got to be right. Oh, no. Sometimes you can handle it deceitfully. There are people that use the Bible that, to teach that you're made right with God by your own behavior, by your performance, and, and by your works. Uh, there is a high name uh, and a large name uh, preacher in Atlanta who specifically denies that Jesus Christ is God and he keeps raking in the cash and with it has proposed to purchase a uh, jetliner for himself, a private jet. Ladies and gentlemen, this happens all of the time. So there is a way to handle the Bible with craftiness and with deceit. But Paul says the alternative is by manifestation or making clear the truth, commending ourselves, proving ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. First, the need. Listen, if you defect and if you go silent, then we end up leaving, we end up leaving the Bible and the churches to verse number two. We leave it to those who are going to handle the word of God deceitfully and in a crafty way. By the way, I think that's why Christians need to get involved in government and in uh, media and in other areas. They, oh, they've got to. If you don't, then you leave all those instruments to those who are the God rejectors and who have agendas other than the kingdom and the glory of Jesus Christ. That's why we need to be involved in all of those. We don't want to leave all of those resources. We don't want to leave all of that to those who are the Christ rejectors. Uh, and so there is the first need. If you defect and go silent about Jesus, who is left? Look who's left. But if you'll have some fortitude, then you end up countering erroneous notions. And so today, this is what we've done at Beach Haven. Since 1959, we've been faithful to tell the story of Jesus and his love. And it involves this. First, the ruin of humanity. We are all ruined because of our sin. Any hope of being made right with God, being forgiven, has been ruined by our behavior. But God has a remedy for that in Jesus Christ. Jesus purchased that at the cross. He died there in our place, and all men and women, boys and girls, if the repentant place faith in Christ, can be forgiven and everything restored and made right before God. So that's the remedy. The, the response is, is that we repent and trust Christ and Christ alone. We reject, 
We reject our former notions and change our mind, and we turn only to Jesus Christ and embrace Him, and we're willing to go public for Him. So at the end of the message today, we'll give you that opportunity. We, I will finish my message, we will start a song, and at that time, staff will be here in the front to help you with your spiritual need. And if you've got any If you've got enough fortitude to walk down this aisle and speak to a staff member, you can come to Jesus Christ today and have your sins erased forever and forever and forever. Despite your ruin, there's a remedy if you will initiate the response. So the need is the first reason, but there's a a second reason, and that is the blame. Look at verses 3 and 4, why things are so difficult when we communicate the, the news of Christ. But even if our gospel is veiled, which implies it not always is, It is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age. Who's the God of this age, by the way? Well, Satan himself. Legal right and authority was handed over in the Garden of Eden to the devil himself. And Christ has purchased it back at the cross. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. And that's their problem. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So Satan uses many instruments to blind the minds of the unbelieving. Sometimes he uses fear. They're too afraid to call out to Jesus Christ. They they may not trust God, but I, I will tell you, the cross is the antidote to that. It's the remedy for that. I mean, if you look at the cross, there's no reason to fear. God loves you, and he'll forgive if you call on him. Uh, Then some are too arrogant. They think that their righteousness and their behavior and performance is is something, uh, uh, you know, God is obligated to accept. And that's not the case at all. And then there are some that um, uh, are are too uh, caught up in their own pleasures, their own pursuits, their own impulses to turn to Jesus Christ. And, And Satan does that. He blinds people with the flesh. He blinds them with pride. He blinds them with fear. And so when you share the gospel of Christ and people do not respond positively by embracing Christ, you need to know it's not your fault. That's not your fault at all. Verses 3 and 4 say that they don't believe, so that is placed on them. And then the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbelieving. So it doesn't mean that there's something inferior about you when people do not respond. There is spiritual warfare taking place. And if you defect and go silent, Satan wins. But if you will have some fortitude, you're engaging the battle, and there's the hope that people will turn to Christ. So there's the need and there's the blame. But then there's the method as well. Verses 5 and 6, look there. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness in Genesis 1, who is shown in our hearts to give light. He's shown in our hearts that we might give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Paul said, God is the one who shines light, but he does it through us. And that is God's method always and forever. I don't understand that. It seems to me it would be better to use an angel, but he doesn't. Instead, he uses us to communicate the light. I guess it's quite persuasive and powerful when people who were once in darkness shine light on others. And we can say, unlike angels, listen, I was in the darkness and I know what it's like to stumble around. But God shined the light on me with the good news of Jesus Christ, of his death and resurrection, and now I'm sharing that with you, and I want to tell you his light is far preferable to the darkness. We are God's way of getting, we are God's method of getting the good news into into the world for Christ. And if we go silent, and if we defect, 
then there is one less person to share and shine light for Jesus Christ. But if we have fortitude, then we become one of many. And so the method. Then there's the power, verses 7 through 9. Another reason that we don't need to defect and go silent, but have fortitude. Verses 7 through 9, the power. Look here. But we have this treasure, the good news of Christ, in earthen vessels. And that's true. We're like clay jars into which they would place savings and money and legal documents. They're treasures. And, and that's much like we are like. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not us. Now, if you've got a beautiful bouquet of 24 roses, do you look at the roses or do you look at the vase that they're in? Well, that vase has probably been used dozens of times, and it's not terribly impressive, an ordinary vase if it is, but what's impressive are the roses. The same is true when it comes to the good news of Christ. We're not the impressive factor here. It's the gospel of Christ that is impressive. That's why God takes the gospel and puts it into ordinary people and not angels. Angels would be far too impressive. And they would get attention instead of the death and resurrection of Christ. Not, not that they would be blameworthy for that, but that's just how the human heart operates. Anything that we can put our attention on other than Jesus, the natural man, will do that very thing. And so we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not us. Now we're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. He's saying, we've got it tough, but it can always be worse. But we do indeed have it tough because it is through us that God communicates the gospel of Christ. Now, what Paul is saying here is this. The more complete my weakness, the more complete the power of God. And so, listen to me carefully. The struggle that you are in today is providing the weakness that you're going to need tomorrow. You know why God doesn't use some people? They're too smart. And they've not humbled themselves and surrendered their intellect to God. You know why God doesn't use other people? They, they, they've got too much personality. And they get in the way. Sometimes intelligence, personality, wealth, and other factors can get in the way of God. Because when they share the word, people are impressed with their intellect. People are impressed with their personality. People are impressed with other factors in their life. And the human heart being what it is, they overshadow the good news of Jesus Christ. And so if life is beating you down, if you're feeling weak, if you're feeling hard-pressed, if you're feeling challenged on every hand, then you are in the perfect position for God to use you. And right now, that experience and that challenge is providing the weakness that you're going to need for God to use you. God's power only comes to the weak. And so he arranges life to surface our weakness. Now, if you go, if you defect and go silent, you miss an opportunity to have that power. And I want to say, if you're struggling today, if you're struggling to be faithful to God, if you're be, uh, struggling to be faithful to his mission, you need to know, listen, because of your weakness, you need to know you are one prayer and one act away from God using you. Now, listen, now is no time to give up. Now is the time to bow yourself before Him, to embrace the weakness, to rejoice in it even, and say, God, now that I'm weak, use me. Let's team up. You've got the power, I've got the weakness. It's time for us to form a team.
So that's how the power comes. And, and so if you defect and go silent, you miss an opportunity to experience the power of God. If you have fortitude, however, in your weakness, then you can know the power of God. But there's a fifth reason, and that is in verses 10 through 12, and that's the cross. He says here, because of the struggles we face in verses 8 and 9, we're always carrying about in the body, our bodies, the dying of the Lord Jesus. We remind people of the crucifixion because of all of our struggles in verses 8 and 9. So we're carrying about in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus, and here's the result, that the life of Jesus may be manifested or made clear in our body. So then, death is working in us. Crucifixion is working in us, but life in you. Listen to me. God arranges Christian lives to resemble the death of Jesus. If you follow faithfully after Jesus Christ, or if you don't, you are going to face difficulties and challenges and trials, heartaches and sorrows, whether you follow Him or not. How about you follow Him in such a way that whenever you experience a difficulty, it becomes an occasion for God to reenact and dramatize the death of His Son before those who are watching you. You see, whenever you go through a struggle as someone who's got some fortitude and faithfulness, God is reenacting in your weakness and struggle the death of His Son. In fact, He's left us at least four things to dramatize the death of His Son. And by the way, you know how precious the death of Jesus is to the Father, don't you? Do you know how crucial and how energetic and how zealous He is over the death of His Son? I mean, we get pretty excited around here singing about it, and we don't know 10% of the zeal of heaven for the death of Jesus. So the Father is unspeakably, indescribably zealous to press upon the world the death of Jesus for sinners. He died there in our place, and He won't let the world forget it, and He's left us at least four things to remind us of that. One happens to be baptism, and that's why every Christian needs to follow Christ in baptism. I don't care what happened when you were an infant. You need to be baptized the way Jesus was. And that is, Jesus was baptized by immersion. And He personally chose that. Someone else didn't do it for Him. And so, if you've not followed Christ in baptism today, you need to come and insist. You need to be baptized the way Jesus did. And today's the day to get that started. So, baptism does it. You've got the water level here, and you've got the candidate here, and the person is put under. Well, there's a cross, a burial, and a resurrection. So baptism reenacts and demonstrates and dramatizes the death of Christ. But then the Lord's Supper does as well. You take the bread and you crush it between your teeth, just like Jesus was crushed on the cross. And then you drain the cup, about one or two ounces around here, but you drain the cup and, and you drink that down as Jesus' blood was spilled for our sins. So baptism, the Lord's Supper, the third thing that dramatizes the death of Christ is preaching. God has chosen preaching as a means on this earth to dramatize and reannounce the death of Christ. But the fourth thing is relevant to everyone. Well, you know, you, you, you don't perform baptisms, and you don't celebrate the Lord's Supper every moment every day, and you don't preach. Most of you don't preach. But there is one thing you can do constantly and always to dramatize the death of Jesus. Baptism, Lord's Supper preaching, and then suffering. When you suffer, you de demonstrate and dramatize the death of Jesus Christ. Now listen, if you defect and if you go silent on Jesus, then you no longer do that. See, you're going to suffer anyway. 
You're going to struggle anyway. How about having struggles and suffering that dramatize for the world the death of Jesus Christ? So if you defect and go silent, then you're no longer in a position to use your suffering to magnify the death of Jesus. But if you will have fortitude, you will display the death of Jesus in your suffering. There's a sixth reason, and that is this, the hope. Paul had some hope in verse number 13. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe, therefore we speak. Here's it. If you'll keep telling people about Jesus, someday someone's going to come to Christ. It reminds me of Francis Dixon, the Baptist uh, pastor and itinerant preacher of a couple generations ago. He was preaching a uh, revival in, um, or a meeting, a conference of some kind in a church in Australia. And one man got up and gave his testimony. And he shared, uh, he said, I was in the uh, Navy and uh, we made port in Sydney, Australia. And I was standing on the corner and a little white-haired old man came and tapped me on the shoulders. And he said, sir, excuse me, I don't mean to be rude, but I want to ask you a question. If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? Think about it. Diddaloo. And he walked off. The man said, that got all over me. My mother had been praying for me. I was, I was rebelling against the God of my youth. And so I went back to my room and I couldn't sleep. And before I went to sleep that night, I got on my knees beside my bed and I gave my heart and life to Christ. Well, he's telling this story in this meeting where Francis Dixon is preaching. And so uh, Francis Dixon speaks to him after the service. And while they're speaking, a man from, that was in attendance that evening came and said, hey, was that on a, this particular corner in Sydney, Australia? He said, well, yes, indeed it was. And he said, well, I was on that corner. That man tapped me on the shoulder and spoke to me. And I gave my life to Christ. So he's got two people. Well, he begins to travel the English-speaking world in Britain and the United States. And Francis Dixon tells this story everywhere he goes. And ladies and gentlemen, before he's through, he's found 13 people in the English-speaking world that were on that same corner, most of them in the Navy, who gave their hearts and lives to Christ because that little white-haired old man tapped him on the shoulder, asked him that, uh, that question, and walked off. Well, he was stunned, so the next time he was in Sydney, Australia, he finds that corner, and he looks for the little old man, and he's not there. And so he asks some shopkeepers, and he says, um, do you know this particular man? And he described him, and he said, yes, that's Mr. Jenner. Uh, it's been a few years since he's been here. He's homebound, and he's bedridden. He's in poor health, but here's his address, and, and uh, I think he might be open to a visit. So Francis Dixon goes and visits the home. And he is admitted, and he goes back to the room where Mr. Jenner is lying. And he tells Mr. Jenner, I don't know if you know this or not, but I have been here, there, and yon, and I have found 13 people who gave their lives to Christ because you tapped them on the shoulder and asked them, are you going to heaven or hell? Think about it. And Mr. Jenner began to weep. He said, I have been doing that for 40 years, or I did that before 40, for 40 years before I could no longer do it. And I felt like such a failure because I did not know that anyone came to Christ because of it. Can I tell you something? God's Word will never return void. That's one of the things I like about social media. Even to this day, I'm hearing from teenagers in the 80s about the work of God in their life because of the simple ministry I've done. And you have to understand, most places I've been, I didn't have a, lot of, I didn't have a large budget. All I had was a Bible, and I loved them, walked with them, 
And even to this day, the power of the gospel and the word of God is still penetrating the lives of those that today have children or in their 40s, some getting close to 50, because somebody shared the word with them. Listen, you keep sharing the word, somebody's going to come to Christ. When lost people hear the gospel, they get saved. And you need to be faithful. Don't defect and don't go silent or you'll impact fewer people but if you've got some fortitude then you will impact more and more as the years go by but there's a final reason here in the text a seventh reason and that is the future look at verses 14 to 18 and we could spend a lifetime on these but he says the future in verses 14 and 15 is occupied with resurrection knowing that he who raised up the lord jesus will also raise us up with jesus and will present us with you For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. When when you share the good news, you make it more and more likely impossible that others will receive Christ and experience this resurrection. But then, not only resurrection, but also renewal. Look what happens to you when you stay with the stuff. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. And boy, don't we know it. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. You see, if you've got some fortitude, you've got the opportunity not only to introduce more and more to the resurrection, but you also have the opportunity to be renewed day by day. In other words, physically you may be in decline, but spiritually in your soul, your later years can be greater than your early years. And thus it should always be with everyone that has walked with God through the decades In other words, they're renewed day by day. So resurrection, renewal, and then look at the reward in verse 17 and 18. For our light affliction, now it hurts, it's an affliction, but compared to what's coming, it's light. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, which would solve 10,000 problems and 10 million discouragements. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so the final thing here is reward. God is storing up a reward, and while your salvation and entrance into heaven does not depend upon your performance and behavior, but the performance and behavior of Jesus at the cross, the degree of reward that you experience in heaven does depend on your performance and behavior. Some will have just a few. They'll get in by the skin of their teeth. They'll they'll get in as through fire, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3. Others, however, will have an abundant entrance into heaven, Peter said in 2 Peter 1, because they've been faithful and they've been faithful all the way. And so whenever you defect and you go silent, (coughs) you diminish the future, but when you have fortitude, you maximize eternity. So according to this text, there are countless good reasons to remain faithful to Christ in adversity and not one good reason to defect or go silent. Now, perhaps today you're discouraged and you're losing heart. And quite frankly, defecting and going silent is within the realm of possibility for you. I mean, you feel like you you just can't make things right with God. You you can't please Him. Uh, it, It could be that um, you, um, you keep failing and, and you're weary of the guilt or you're weary about uncertainty about the future, I, I, I've got good news for you. 
There is a Savior who is capable of taking care of every bit of that. He's done it. He'll do it again if you'll repent and place faith in Jesus Christ. And God allows these kinds of things to happen for us to grow weary, for us to feel the sting of failure, and for us to have and bear the weight of guilt to get our attention. He does that to get our attention and to show us the futility of trusting anything else besides Jesus Christ. That is precisely what God is doing. And if you're listening to me, and and if you get it, that's not because you're naturally intelligent. You may be. But if you understand what we're saying today, then that is the work of God. If you understand that you're ruined without Jesus Christ, if you understand that He and He alone are the remedy, if you understand that personally repenting and placing faith in Jesus Christ is the response God calls for you now, then what you're witnessing and what you're experiencing is an act of God in your life. And that is a dominant reason why you don't defect and go silent silent or defected at all. That's not what he's done. Instead, what Jesus Christ has done is that Jesus has created a set of circumstances in your life today to deliver the good news of Christ to you now. That is an act of God. And I want to say to you, whenever God acts in your life, respond appropriately. Defecting and going silent is not part of that calculation. That's not should not be in the, within the realm of possibility. Instead, today, you get it right, and you get it right with God by calling on Jesus. Let's pray together.